0: You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hi, everyone. I'm Jason Keller, And I'm Mike Lynch. And I'm Michael Barr. And this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Happy
1: Monday, everyone. And we're coming to you the day after the NBA All-Star Game. It happened. Down in the ATL, we didn't know whether it was going to go off at all for a number of months. It was supposed to be in Indianapolis. They basically said to Indy, you know what? You can have it in 24. We don't know whether we're going to do it. Atlanta steps forward. They're able to put something together. I mean, I don't want to say it was a mess, Lindsay, but I mean, <laughs> it, it was definitely not your typical uh, all-star weekend. You know, we've all seen those. Over the course of the year, it's a big party. It's great for the city. Uh, sort of like we talked about with the Super Bowl a few weeks ago, you know, part of it, so much of it is what's happening beyond the game itself. And yet, they needed to pull it off, it, it sounds like, Lynch
2: think about the fans that are out there Um, the fans want to see these stars they want to see them in a freelance format which they got 320 points between the two teams I completely understand the reluctance of the players to go because they had a very short off season because it ended obviously down in Orlando with COVID-19 LeBron James said that he was there physically but not mentally and it pretty much showed when he scored four points and of course uh, what would be uh, a major sporting event without a COVID issue Uh, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons uh, visited their barber, and they did some contact tracing, and they fortunately both tested negative, but they uh, could not
1: participate because they got
2: haircuts. Yeah,
1: amazing. Uh, Let's listen to some of what Adam Silver had to say, because as you said, you know, COVID is always looming there, and he talked a little bit on Saturday about kind of how this has flowed through the economics and the revenues of the NBA.
3: The long-term health of the league is very solid, but you know, between last year and this year, we're looking at considerable losses. You know, I generally don't talk about that publicly because teams are largely privately held and we're not suggesting that's anybody else's issue, but ours. But uh, you know, last season and this season has required a significant investment on the part of the team owners. They accept that. Players will end up taking a reduction in salary this season because they are our partners with the league and teams on, on revenue, league executives, team executives have all taken haircuts on their salary. But I think when we all step back, we feel very fortunate to be working under these circumstances. And my sense is the players feel the same way.
1: And so, Michael Barr, I, I think that's hard to argue with, sort of the overall um, economics of that. We know that the NBA is very healthy financially, and yet we also know that like every other league, every other sport, pretty much uh, every other institution, unless you're a Zoom or Peloton, you've had you know something of a, of a tough year um, in many ways. But I still come back to the idea of like, but do you still really need to play the All-Star game? What do you think?
0: Well, the All-Star game is important because for people, you can see all of the stars. And it used to be the way the old school used to be for the All-Star baseball game. You can see all the stars on the court at one point. But it's something that Adam Silver said in that audio bite earlier, and it's true. Usually, they don't talk about business at the dinner table because they they are really hush-hush when it comes to the finances uh, within the league, but it shows you how it has impacted. COVID nineteen has impacted the league, and it, eventually, as as we continue to go ahead, uh, hopefully, we can you know continue to have fans uh, start to grow in the stands. We hope, uh, and hopefully, this uh, this nightmare can come to an end for all sports.
1: Well, and Adam Silver in that same press conference did talk about the reason to move ahead with the game, because I think a lot of eyebrows, including those of King James himself, were raised as to why they were going forward. Here's what he had to say about that.
3: Throughout this pandemic, we've sought to find the right balance between the health and safety of our players, the community that's involved in producing NBA basketball, and of course our fans, along with the economic interests as well of our community. And add into that, social justice issues. And so, all of that's been on our minds since almost a year ago when we shut down the NBA.
1: So, that was Adam Silver speaking in that same press conference. And, you know, Lynchy, it is interesting. I mean, It's a balance, right, between player safety and all of that. And I do think it's important what he said about the economics beyond this one Sunday night. This is a global game. Obviously, the ambitions are there for the NBA as a business. We know that to be true. We saw that um, sort of come to the fore in a lot of controversy when it comes to China uh, about 18 months ago. feels like about 18 years ago. Um, But, you know. These are the decisions they have to make. And and ultimately, they are creating a product that needs to be sold to lots of people in order for this to be an ongoing concern.
2: And we've had this conversation numerous times uh, of all the major sports uh, leagues. The relationship between commissioners slash owners and players is is very, very healthy. Uh, It's very vibrant. And if Adam Silver says something, I mean, LeBron James didn't want to play in this game. And Adam Silver says, this game is going to go on. And LeBron says, okay, then I'm going to be there. Now, you know, I'm not sure that would happen with another league and another commissioner. And it sort of shows the respect that they have for Adam Silver. And two big winners, too. um, The Thurgood Marshall College Fund received a $1 million, and the United Negro College Fund received uh, $500,000. So, uh, you know, hats off to the NBA and and good for them.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting, too, you know, Atlanta, as anybody who ever listens to this show knows, is my hometown. Good to see, you know, Atlanta stepping up there. Uh, it is home to some of the most notable uh, HBCUs who also uh, received a pretty sizable donation of $3 million from the NBA around this. You know, Spellman and Morehouse, uh, Clark Atlanta, are all there uh, in Atlanta. And also notable um, for those of you who want to. Google and look at the Twitters and all that on this, uh, there was an ad that LeBron's group More Than a Vote put out um, around some efforts to candidly, you know, roll back some of the voting rights that were given in this last uh, election. So it, it did bring that notion of social justice and equality to the fore, you do wonder if, on balance, you know, maybe that visibility and we heard about this and talked about it when the NBA was in the bubble, you know, being able to to use their voices and, and you heard Adam Silver mention it there uh, is actually uh, very important. Well, speaking of diversity and and efforts to you know level the playing field a little bit, maybe make up for some uh, perceived and real uh, slights over time. The NFL, which I don't think any of us would argue has always been the most forward thinking, uh, did make some news this week, an announcement, Michael Barr, that Maya Chaka is going to be the first black woman ever named to the NFL's officiating staff. She's been added to the NFL roster of game officials for the upcoming season. It's a big deal.
0: Oh, yeah. First black woman ever named to the NFL officiating staff. It shows you how barriers are starting to be broken now. Uh, And it's great uh, to get the news uh, on International Women's Day that this is going down. Uh, And eventually it will get to the point where this won't be a big deal. Right and and coaches are going to be yelling uh, at the women officiating uh, that are officiating out there just like they are at the men. Where this won't be a story anymore. Uh, I'm just glad that this is breaking barriers.
1: Well, and Lynchy, it's interesting to think about this as we look ahead to our conversation that we'll be posting later this week with Angela Ruggiero, who has done a lot of work herself as a groundbreaking athlete, four-time Olympian, but she's done some really interesting work at her shop around diversity leading to higher revenues and we're going to talk about that with her this is good business we've talked about that with jason Wright at the washington football team so the nfl you know playing a little bit of catch up i think it's fair to say but you know here we are and sometimes it takes a while but once the flywheel Mm -hmm. starts turning you know maybe we see more and more
2: well, you got, uh, on the heels uh, preceding Maya Chalker, you had Sarah Thomas as the right. first woman that worked in a Super Bowl uh, this year. And then you had another Sarah, Sarah Fuller, who was became the first woman to kick an extra point in a college football game. And, of course, Naomi Osaka took the lead uh, in the U.S. Open this year. She didn't play in that Cincinnati Open. And then she came out in the U.S. Open with a mask with uh, all kinds of different uh, victims' uh, names over her mask. So... And then, of course, uh, with the uh, Atlanta Dream, Renee Montgomery becomes right. the uh, first part owner executive. So it's been a, a progressive year for women. Um, we'd like to see the pace accelerate, obviously, but um, all good news for all these women and, and, and good news for all the women who will follow them.
1: Well, and accelerating that, uh, we should note that there's a new media company. A new, they're calling it a new media and commerce company, and it's really all about elevating women's voices. This is a group of former Olympians and some professional athletes talking about Super, Bird, Simone Man- Manuel, Chloe Kim. Uh, they have gotten together with Alex Morgan to create together. Uh, now, this is interesting because we're starting to see athlete founded media companies really break out you know we caught up recently with Steph Strack over at Voice and Sport and, you know, what she's doing there, we mentioned LeBron James, of course, and his Spring Hill company, they are dominant when it comes to uh, athlete-led and athlete-created content. I think we're all looking forward to Space Jam 2, which is coming out and coming to hopefully <laughs> a theater near you um, later this summer. Bar, you'll be there. You're, you're, you're up for Space
0: Jam 2, right? Oh, yeah. And, my, and I heard, by the way, that Pepe Le Pew, won't oh be in this. <laughs> he will not. He will not be in oh, this. Oh boy! In the reincarnation. Oh so, yeah.
1: No. I don't know what I don't know what to make of that. But I'm I'm very excited for uh, I'm very excited for Space Jam too. But you know it it is something. And and what's interesting is one of the things that I uh, that I saw as I was researching this was Billie Jean King, of mm-hmm. course, incredibly well known. She's got an autobiography coming out later this year. She noted some research that said only four percent. Of media. Uh, Sports media is devoted to women's sports. And and so obviously, these women are trying to change that. The athletes are the ones who are are making the change. You know, to your point, uh, just a minute ago, Lynchy, around Naomi Osaka and others, they are uh, seizing the means of production, as it were.
2: Yeah, and uh, one of the things they're trying to change, and, and this is through no fault of, of anybody at all, but a lot of attention is focused particularly on Olympic athletes for two weeks during a summer yeah. games or two weeks during a winter games, and then see you later for three and a half years. There's, there's no mention of any of these athletes at all. So they're trying to keep these athletes on the forefront and, and on the tip of people's tongues and in their consciousness, and, and I, I applaud them. It's, uh, it's one of many, many movements that, that, that are happening, um, but they're happening, and that's the important thing.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, too, to, to think about it. I'm glad you brought up that point around the Olympics because it doesn't really have to be that way. And especially when you start to think about the way the U.S. women's national team, soccer team, really broke through, you know, broke well past just the Olympics or the World Cup and, and became much more uh, a part of, you know, kind of the, the zeitgeist, as it were, and certainly the sporting landscape, but also the cultural landscape you mentioned earlier Renee Montgomery, the former Atlanta Dream player, now a co-owner and executive at the Atlanta Dream. Those are the moves that it's going to take to really elevate and, you know, even talking to, you know, Ben Sherwood a couple weeks ago about his new company Mojo, He's the former president of ABC News and had a big position at Disney as well. You know, part of it really is cultivating girls sports, you know, kids sports uh, along the way and making sure that we continue to pay attention through high school, college, you know, and into the professional leagues, you think about what Alexis Ohanian is doing with Angel City out in Los Angeles, the women's uh, professional soccer team. So um, it's going to be a pivotal year. You know, we talk about this being such a big year in so many ways, the the aftermath of the pandemic. But, uh, you know, watch this space and, and certainly notable to talk about all these things here on International Women's Day.
0: This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports Podcast. I'm Michael Barr, along with Mike Lynch and Jason Kelly.
1: And we're here with you each and every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday, exploring the world of money and sports. Join us again as the week goes on. On Wednesday, we're going to drop our podcast, our conversation. We mentioned it a few minutes ago with Angela Ruggiero. She's the co-founder and the CEO of the Sports Innovation Lab. She's a former ice hockey standout Gold medalist, four-time Olympian with Team USA, Hockey Hall of Famer, and she went to that little school that Lynchy went to uh, there on the... <laughs> there on, on, the uh, there on the river. There on that river, on the Charles. And <laughs> catch the weekend edition of the show, another favorite of ours. So excited to catch up with Cynthia Marshall. She's the CEO of the Dallas Mavericks, longtime executive at AT&T. I will tell you, I've gotten to know her a little bit. She is incredible. She's got a lot of takes on the NBA, and the business world beyond
0: you're listening to bloomberg business of sports on bloomberg radio around the world and online wherever you get your podcasts